thank you for your Holy Spirit who is among us. I thank you for the work that you want to do in all of our lives, bringing us to faith in Jesus Christ and helping us to become more like him for your glory. Do this work, I pray, as we attend to your word now. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Good to be seated. Good to be back with you after vacation last week, and thanks, Luke, for filling the pulpit. We uh, went camping, and I... You know, the reason pastors go camping is for illustrative purposes. <laughs> we have, I'll be telling you about this camping trip sometime, but maybe not today. Because I want to go back to um, Galatians chapter 5. Before um, I left, the last Sunday I preached, we looked at Galatians chapter 5, and we talked about what Paul is talking about when he talks about walking according to the flesh the works of the flesh, and then today we're going to talk about uh, walking in the Spirit and the works of the Spirit, or the, as he calls it, the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, many years ago, an author, a famous author, finished a talk. He stepped down from the podium, and the audience began to crowd around him, young and old alike, Getting to the front, they wanted to talk to him. And uh, what they said was interesting. Uh, They didn't say, you know, thank you for your entertaining stories. Uh, They didn't say um, thank you for or give him praise for his creative genius. What they said, they said, you are our prophet. Your story, your book has made us better And that author was the famous Russian author, Dostoevsky. And the book was The Brothers Karamazov. Because in that book, what Dostoevsky does, at least part of what he's doing, is he's painting a vision of a way of life. Actually, two ways of life. A life given over to evil and characters who are pursuing that way. And then uh, characters who are pursuing however it be faltering, stumbling along the way, a life of goodness, of holiness, inspired by the example of Christ. And these people were recognizing that this vision of goodness was compelling and they needed it. Well, the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5 is painting a vision of goodness, of holiness. This is an inspired vision by the very Spirit of God, as he writes about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, he says in verse 22, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is a vision of Goodness rooted in the goodness of God, the character of God, revealed perfectly in Jesus Christ. And we are called as Christians to pursue that vision of goodness. And so what I want to do this morning is just to make some simple observations just about that phrase, 
the fruit of the Spirit. I want to talk about the significance of this metaphor, this image, as we think about growing in goodness as Christians. So, this is going to be pretty simple and straightforward as we just think about the implications of this metaphor, this image, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. What does it tell us about growing in goodness, becoming more like Christ? Well, first of all, the fruit of the Spirit is evidence of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. It is a sign that God is at work in us Transforming us. These character qualities, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, kindness, these character qualities, these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit are evidence that God's transforming work is in our life. Conforming to rules or rituals is not evidence of God in our life. Remember, it was the Judaizers who were coming into this community in the church at Galatia and they were saying, if you want to be right with God, Here's a list of things you need to do. You need to keep kosher. You need to be circumcised, get the sign of the covenant for males, circumcision. You need to keep these holy days. Here's the Jewish calendar. But Paul says, no, you are not right based on these rules or rituals. You are right in the eyes of God through Jesus and you grow in goodness through the work of this spirit. Jesus said in Matthew 7, talking about warning the church community about false prophets who would come into the church. He said, by their fruits, you will know them. The fruit indicates what's going on in the heart. You don't get bananas from an apple tree. The fruit tells you what kind of tree it is. And Jesus says in Matthew 7, by their fruits, you will know them. He warns against false prophets. Now, earlier in Matthew 7, he, he has said one of our culture's favorite uh, Bible verses, do not judge lest you be judged. And so there's, there's a balance here. We're not the ultimate judge. We can't judge a person's heart. But on the other hand, we're not going to be naive. And the way a person lives and the influence that a person has on other people reveals what's going on. In their hearts, by their fruits, you shall know them. Ultimate judgment belongs to God. But if someone's life is characterized by what Paul has called in Galatians 5, the works of the flesh, which we talked about last time. Things like sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, fits of anger, division, envy, rivalry, the kind of person who's Argumentative, starting fights and starting division wherever they go. A person's life who's characterized by that, Paul says, is moving away from God. Do not be deceived. If, you're, if that's what characterizes your life, he says, and you don't turn to Christ in repentance and faith, you're moving further and further away from God and you will not inherit the kingdom. And so Paul would say to such a person, be honest with yourself. Be honest with where you're at spiritually. Look to Christ for forgiveness and new life. But the, 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 the fruit reveals what's going on on the inside. The fruit of the Spirit points to the Spirit's work. On, on the other hand, you can see the fruit of the flesh, but then there's the fruit of the Spirit. And when you see 
the fruit of the Spirit in the life of somebody who professes faith in Jesus Christ or in the life of a community. You can say, ah, the Spirit's at work here. The transforming work of the Spirit of God. And that's a wonderful thing to see. Last Sunday I was here, when, before we went on vacation, we had a church meeting. And um, those of you who have been in churches for a while, you know that church meetings can be a time where dissension can kind of start to creep up. Depending on what God is doing in the, in the community and in the hearts of people. So sometimes I go into these meetings, although we have not had acrimonious meetings, glory be to God, in the past. Sometimes I go into these meetings with a little anxiety and a lot of prayer. And just asking the Lord to bless the unity of our fellowship, to protect the unity of our fellowship, and to, to make it an occasion of joy. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. And I don't know if you remember that meeting, but there was a lot of joy in that meeting. We were discussing difficult things. We had some serious decisions to make, but people were telling jokes and, and laughing, and there was a sense of love. Because joy is a fruit of the Spirit. God is a God who delights in His people. God is a God of joy. In fact, Thomas Aquinas was asked one time, what, is, what does God do throughout eternity? What is God doing? And you could answer that question in, in various ways. But Thomas Aquinas said something interesting. The great medieval Catholic theologian, he said, God is enjoying Himself. God is delighting in his own goodness, in his fullness, in his love, in his beauty. God is a God of joy and he, overflow, he wants to communicate that joy to his people. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. And when you see that in a community, in a person's life, you say the Spirit is at work there. So, uh, on the other hand, this idea of the fruit of the Spirit means that Christian growth is a process. Growth in goodness is a process. It takes time for fruit to grow. You don't plant a tomato seed and expect the next day to see fruit on the vine. It takes time. No one except Jesus was more godly than the Apostle Paul, but Paul recognized that he had room to grow in his Christian life. And he said in Philippians chapter 3, not that I've attained all this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on. I'm not perfect, Paul said. He recognized that. But there was a vision of life that he was pursuing. He said, I'm going to press on to that and make it my own. Because Jesus Christ has made me his own. So we need to be patient. When we think about this matter of Christian growth and maturity, patient with others, patient with ourselves. Christian parents need to be patient with their children. Preaching to myself here. <laughs> Trust that God is at work in their life. Remember where we've come from. Remember the times of getting off the path in our own life. Christian parents and older Christians need to be patient with younger Christians. Church members need to be patient with one another, especially those of us who've been in the Christian life for a long time. As we see new believers, need to be patient with them. Pastors need to be patient with their parishioners. And parishioners need to be patient with their pastors. Because we're all in process. This doesn't mean that we excuse sin. 
This doesn't mean that we ignore what Paul has been saying here, and we talked about it last time, that we as Christians are to crucify the sinful nature with the help of the Spirit of God, that we are to be at war with these sinful desires. But we're not perfect, and we're not going to be perfect this side of heaven. And it takes time for fruit to grow. And so we need this fruit of the Spirit, patience, with ourselves and with one another. And when we see in our own lives this gap between who we who we are and who God calls us to be, to not give in to despair, not say, well, I can never be this kind of person. I can never experience this kind of joy or peace or purity in my life. But to trust that, no, the Spirit of God lives within me and He will bring to completion this work that He started. Patience, because fruit takes time. And then I notice that the fruit of the Spirit happens in the context of conflict and difficulty. It happens in the context of conflict and difficulty. And I would go, go further and say that growth in goodness, growth in godliness, growth in Christ-likeness requires pain and strain. Notice the context of Galatians 5. It's conflict. There's division. There's relational breakdown. Look at verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. This is a community. We don't know why exactly, but there is division. There is a temptation to backbite and gossip and fight. And he says, watch out. That you're not consumed by one another. And then in verse 26, it's not in your bulletin, but right after he says, If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. He says, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is how you apply this teaching, he's saying, in your relationships with one another. Because there's something happening in this community where there's people stirring up conflict. They're jealous of one another. They're fighting with one another. They're envying one another. And it's in that context of strain and strife and difficulty that Paul says, keep in step with the Spirit. You need to reflect on who the Spirit is, the Spirit that dwells within you. And you need to reflect on the character of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit. And you need to ask the Holy Spirit in the midst of the difficulty to grow these qualities in you. J.I. Packer in his book, Rediscovering Holiness describes the fruit of the Spirit as the Christ-like response to difficulty. Let me just read you some of what this Anglican luminary says in this book. And maybe as I read this, you can relate to something, to, uh, something that he says here. He says this. He says, love is the Christ-like reaction to people's malice. Joy is the Christ-like reaction to depressing circumstances. Because the joy that the Bible is talking about is not related to circumstance. It's not like how we think of happiness in the world. If we're healthy, if our finances are in our order, and the relationships are good, then we're happy. That's rooted in circumstance. But in the Scripture, joy is found in the Lord. Who He is, what He does, His promises. Joy in the Lord. Paul says in Philippians when he's in jail, rejoice in the Lord always. And he's saying that from a jail cell. 
Joy is the Christ-like reaction to depressing circumstances. Peace is the Christ-like reaction to trouble and anxiety. Patience is the Christ-like reaction to all that is maddening. Are there things happening in your life, in the culture, in the world, that driving you mad and crazy? And Packer says, patience or forbearance is another way of translating this. Or the King James, long-suffering is a Christ-like reaction to all that is maddening. Kindness is the Christ-like reaction to those who are unkind. Goodness, the Christ-like reaction to bad people and bad behavior. Faithfulness and gentleness, the Christ-like reaction to lies and fury. Self-control, the Christ-like reaction to every situation or temptation that provokes you to lose your cool or overindulge. Self-control. So Paul is saying, as you go through the stresses and the strains and the conflict and the difficulty. When you're not healthy, precisely when you're not in good shape, precisely when the finances are very difficult or the relationships are under stress and strain, as you trudge through all manner of trouble and temptation and trial, it's precisely there that you look to the Lord and you ask Him for strength that you don't have. Don't think of it as God isn't in this. God has abandoned me. God's not at work. Think of it as an opportunity for God to be at work making you more like Christ. He stands at the ready as the potter shaping a vessel for His glory as we turn to Him in prayer and dependence upon the Spirit. And saying, Lord, I, I cannot do this in my own strength. I cannot conjure up peace in the midst of my anxiety. That is not the bin-like reaction to anxiety. Or the things that depress me. The bin-like response, the natural response, is anxiety and depression. And the only way I know how to get out of it is through prayer and trusting the Holy Spirit and talking things over with my wife who's got a lot more common sense than I do. God gives us people, right? As part of this process too. This is about a community. Paul's addressing a community. So turn to Christ and plead with Him. I need you to produce in me what I cannot produce in my own power. Make it a constant prayer. As you go through your day, as you face temptations, I'm having problems with self-control in my thought life in this area. Lord, give me self-control. Help me to be more like Christ. So this leads me to my fourth and my final observation here. The fruit of the Spirit means that the change we need is produced by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not about self-improvement. It's not about taking this on as a DIY project. It's about union with Christ and drawing on His strength. Fruit is not something we make. Maybe there'll come a time where they can use the DNA to clone fruit. I don't know. Maybe some people are doing that now. 
But I don't think fruit is something that we can manufacture. It emerges. Fruit comes from the life-giving power that's packed into the seed. The DNA, the code, the information, the, the principle of life is in the seed. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the life of God comes into our life. That seed is planted in the very heart of our being, the very center of our being. That's where the power to change comes from. That's where the power to grow comes from. Yes, the conditions have to be right for the seed to grow. And so we must cooperate with God through prayer, through meditating upon His Word, through worshiping together. Yes, we must cooperate with God. That's what Paul is calling for in this passage. Walk in step with the Spirit. But the Spirit lives within you and the power to change comes from God Himself. The life He's implanted in you. And that's why Paul is saying to the Galatians, if you have the Spirit, you don't need the Mosaic Law. If you have the Spirit of God who is love, you don't need the Mosaic Law, which is all about love. The purpose of the law is to get us to love God and our neighbor. And so Paul is saying to his Galatians, you don't have to go under the Mosaic law because the fulfillment of the law is the spirit of love, which is the Holy Spirit, which is in you. And, and, and so it's not as if we then live however we want to live. He says, no, not as an opportunity to serve the sinful desires of the flesh, but an opportunity to serve one another in love. Love fulfills the law. In Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan, it was the experts in the Mosaic law Right? The Levite and the priest who failed to love their neighbor. Because the law doesn't get you there. The legalism does not give you the power to change, to be like Christ. Only the Spirit of Christ can do that. And so we're called to yield to the Spirit, to grow in dependence upon the Spirit. Um, Dane Ortland in his book on Christian growth, he talks about an essay that C.S. Lewis had. And Lewis said there's three kinds of people in this essay. Three kinds of people in the world. Not two kinds of people. He said three kinds of people. The first kind of person is the person who does not believe in any law outside of the self. This is the person that Paul describes as the person who's walking according to the flesh. There is no higher law than the self. They're self-interested they're self-centered. That's person number one. Lewis said person number two is somebody who believes in a higher law. They, they, they feel, whether it's their own conscience or the Ten Commandments or maybe a secular version of justice that they need to attempt or to attain to, they, they know that there's something outside of the self that they need to come under and fulfill. But they look at it, as Lewis says, like paying a tax. You pay the tax with a little bit of your money, and then you spend the rest of the money on how you want to live. And person number two kind of looks at religion that way, and God that way. I'm going to do my religious duty, pay the tax, but what I really want to do is this over here. And now that I've paid my religious tax, then I can go on with my life. That's person number two. That's religious legalism. Person number three, Lewis says, is the New Testament Christian that Paul is talking about in Galatians. 
The person who says, like Paul says in Galatians 2, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You see, Paul was so gripped by the love of God revealed in Christ at the cross that he says, I'm not going to live for myself anymore. I'm going to live for the one who loved me like this. Can you say that? Can I say that? I've been gripped by the love of Christ at the cross. The Holy Spirit has poured this love into my heart. And so Paul says, it's no longer about Paul. It's no longer about me. At the deepest core, my will is to do the will of God. And as Ortland says, then it is a matter of not just obeying God, but enjoying God and enjoying obeying God because you want to obey Him. That is a work of the Spirit. That doesn't come naturally. It's a work of the Spirit. And so, friends, can you thank God in your life for the work of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit? Do you see how God has produced this fruit in you? Can you see that over the years and maybe even over the decades, God has been changing your character to become more like Christ? Can you thank God for that? And I wonder if, like me, you also recognize places where there's a significant gap between who you are now and who God is calling you to be in Christ. And as you think about these aspects of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, you can identify, even as you read this list, you can say, yeah, I need more joy in my life. I need more peace. Well, then let's go to the Lord in prayer and pray and persist in prayer. The, the prayer that we, that we sang, Holy Spirit, breathe new life in me and trust that the one who began a good work in you is at work in you now. Right now. And he will be faithful to complete it. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you will help us all to be gripped afresh, anew, by the love that you have revealed to us in Jesus Christ. And that we can come to the place where Paul said, it's no longer about me. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And yet be honest about this road that we're on and the trials and the temptations and the difficulty along the way, recognizing we don't have the strength. And so, help us to turn to you. Give us grace to call us into a deeper dependence through prayer on your Holy Spirit that we may walk in step with the Spirit. The world needs Christians and Christian communities who are pursuing this vision of what it means to be a human being which is to be renewed in the image and likeness of God. Help us to pursue it, O oh God, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand and let's recite the words of our faith.